0: A lot of the digestion that you're having is actually not necessarily your body. It's actually a lot to do with the microbes that live inside your gut that are the ones that are digesting these nutrients, which help you absorb them. My name is Jessica, and I'm also known as Nutrition RVN Online. My main thrust is to educate pet parents and pet professionals um, all about animal nutrition. Um, I write blogs, educational blogs, on nutritionrvn.com. Um, And I'm a registered and accredited veterinary nurse and animal nutritionist.
1: Think of the microbiome as a lawn. It has weeds, requires fertilizing, and it is possible to carpet vomit, killing all of the good microbes if you aren't careful. We chat with Jess from Nutrition RVN about what has been referred to as the second brain, the microbiome.
0: Are you a veterinarian dreaming about working down under in New Zealand? If so, I'd love to help you make that dream come true. Hi, I'm Julie South of VetStaff. VetStaff is New Zealand's only recruitment agency specialising in the Kiwi veterinary sector. We can help you find your dream job down under, from short-term locum assignments through to permanent employment and residency. Because we know God's own Aotearoa, New Zealand, like the back of our hands, we can match your career aspirations with a clinic that'll suit you best, whether you're planning to work here for a few months or forever. If it's got anything to do with working in a vet clinic in New Zealand, we can help. Vetstaff.co.nz. You
1: are listening to The Vet Podcast, presented by veterinarian Dr Brian Greger from New Zealand. Join us as we discuss pet health issues from around the world. It's absolutely great to have you back again, Jess, so thanks for finding the time to talk to us again. We're going to be talking about microbiome uh, in this podcast, so I guess the very first thing is, what are we talking about? What's a microbiome?
0: Yeah, so look, the microbiome, the definition of a microbiome is the combined genetic material of microorganisms in a particular environment. So when, when we're talking about a microbiome, we're generally, we're talking about the gut. Um, that's where a lot of our um, genetic material for um, and microorganisms live, um, but they can also live um, in multiple different biomes. So little environments within the body, such as um, your nose, your mouth, your stomach. Um, so that's generally what we're talking about when we refer to microbiome.
1: So the microbiome doesn't necessarily have to be all the the good bugs. I mean, one one analogy that I saw somewhere about it is that if you think of the microbiome like a lawn, like a a garden lawn, where it's got grass, but it's also got weeds and it needs weeding and it needs fertilizing. Is that a fair enough analogy?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So many microbes um, that live in the microbiome are symbiotic. So that means that they provide a benefit to the host organism wherever they live. So they're the sort of beneficial, like you said, in the lawn, you'd be talking about the grass. The bacteria and microbes that are not beneficial, so they're um, sometimes categorised as parasitic, they don't provide a benefit to the host organism and generally just um, kind of sit in there and take advantage of being in there. Um, So they'd be like the weeds, like you said.
1: I guess one of the first questions is where does the microbiome come from?
0: Yeah, so the, the microbiome comes from a few different places. Initially, when you get a microbiome you get that from your parents so basically once you're born all the microbes that are in the environment that are on your mother that are in the womb they then populate your body and then you either ingest them or they get into your body um, through other means whether that's you know particularly babies you know they'll touch things they'll eat things they'll put things in their mouth and that then populates the gut. So that's one way. The other way is obviously genetics. So the type of microbes that you have in your gut, again, are based on your genetics and that's been passed down from your parents. The diet as well, depending on what sort of ingredients and what sort of food that you're eating will change um, and manipulate the type of microbes that you have and where you get them from. And also any exposure to the environment is going to give you a different population of microbes. So uh, I might have a different set of microbes to someone who lives overseas. Just based on the environment that we live in.
1: What kind of things are going to influence the microbiome over and above what bugs you, you're, you're taking in? Do things like diet have any effect?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, um, depending on the ingredients that are in your diet, um, it does actually change what sort of microbes that you do um, have that populate you and influence. Um, how, I suppose the balance that you have. So, whether you have more symbiotic than you have parasitic organisms living in there, particularly diets that, like, if they're heavy in protein, they will have a very different microbial concentration and balance than a pet that's eating a, a more hot, carb heavy or fat heavy diet. A lot of the microbes um, that we get in our gut are based on the type of foods that they live on. So, a diet that's very high in fish will have a very different microbial balance than a diet that's very high in, for example, a different type of meat. So maybe lamb or um, chicken.
1: So the microbiome is integral in digesting food. I'm looking, we've asked for a few questions from some of our listeners through Instagram. Uh, Kyle Kantsman from the US. Now, we'll wave out to Kyle. Him and Maddie have got a podcast that is called Walk on the Wild Side Vet Podcast. I think they're both final year veterinary students at Michigan State. He's actually flipped in a question here, wanting to know the relationship between the microbiota and important nutrients like cobalamin and folate. So what's the tie up with the microbiota and digestion and nutrition?
0: Yeah, so look, um, the microbes that you have in your gut, they, depending on the microbes that you've got, they actually have different roles so, some uh, microbes, they may digest particular nutrients a lot better than others, or they might provide um, different byproducts to their actual um, fermentation process. So, you might have a microbe that really, really um, digests protein very well, and then it provides a byproduct or, you know, some sort of waste product that's actually beneficial to the body. With coalbumin, um, which is sometimes known as B12 as well, um, and folate and things like that, The um, intestine is basically the main place where those things get absorbed. So if your microbes aren't really able to digest those particular foods where they're very rich in those nutrients, they may struggle to to essentially absorb those. So I know for myself, for example, I'm celiac and I – myself have had B12 deficiencies for that reason, because the villi are damaged. So they're the, the little um, fingers that live on the inside of your intestines and the microbes that live within them and how they digest those nutrients. So a lot of the digestion that you're having is actually not necessarily your body. It's actually a lot to do with the microbes that live inside your gut that are the ones that are digesting these nutrients which help you absorb them.
1: And I guess to follow that through, I mean, that the most obvious case of this is ruminal digestion in cattle, yes. not that we're running a bovine podcast here. I think another thing that this may drop a penny for the, for the clinicians, for the veterinarians that are listening to this, is when you're dealing with malabsorption, maldigestion syndrome, um, two of the tests that you're doing it is, is folate and B12. Mm. So this is using the bacteria, I guess, That's in right. some ways as an indicator as to as to what's going on. Now, while we're sort of going along what's happening to the gut, another question that Kyle's put to me, it's to do with treatment of chronic enteropathies, chronic gut problems, which is probably a podcast in itself. Yes. What he's wanting to know is metronidazole, flagell, is used quite commonly for treating chronic enteropathies, at least in dogs. What kind of effect is that actually having? on the microbiome and I guess to to extend that one of the I know older treatments that we always used to do with dogs with chronic diarrhea is fill them up with antibiotics so I would imagine that things like metronidazole and putting a a dog on two weeks worth of antibiotics for a non-bacterial infection will have a fairly major problem with the microbiome.
0: Yes, that's right. So um, there was actually a recent study that I was having a look at that was um, regarding this particular topic precisely. And they were saying that a two-week course of metronidazole, when they looked at the, um, at the end of those two weeks, they found that the difference between the healthy and the sick dogs, both of them that had had the same course, essentially their microbiome was carpet bombed. There was really not the same diversity that they had. They had lost a huge amount of their um, healthy, good bacteria, and they really only had Kind of all their bad bacteria left, but even then, that was also significantly reduced. So what we see is with that, they said that the microbiome itself didn't recover until day forty-two. So even a two-week course has had such an extended effect on the microbiome that that's that's quite significant. So if you're kind of doing that with every um, patient, or even doing it, you know, repeated courses. We really don't know what's going to happen. That's just in healthy pets was a 42 day recovery. In sick pets, it may be even longer, particularly if you're kind of, if there's already an underlying dysbiosis there, they're already got an imbalance. So, I mean, in, in my case, I always sort of say to people, we, like you said, it's, it's a fairly old way of doing things where we kind of just give them metronide and then go, yep, cool. We've probably fixed the problem. I think what's more important is thinking about giving probiotics first, and then if they do not improve, then we can look at metronide as maybe a second or even a third option. A lot of diarrhoea cases, like you said, are not necessarily um, just a bacterial infection. Sometimes there's other reasons as to why pets are having diarrhoea, and and metronide probably isn't the best choice um, first off, particularly if it's taking 42 days for us to see uh, the good bacteria come back and repopulate.
1: The VET podcast has no sponsorship, but as is the way of the world, it still costs money to produce, what with the hosting site, interviewing platforms, and software subscriptions, not to mention the recording equipment required. So if you enjoy the podcasts, why not show it in a small way, and buy me a coffee. If you are so inclined, go to buymeacoffee.com slash VET podcasts, or to our social media buyer site. Now back to the podcast. I've got a couple of questions that have come in. You're going to have to excuse me here. One of them is is a guy, Rana Umar Tayab, and apologies if I've got that name wrong. He's a vet student in Pakistan. He's asked a question of what kind of supplements can be used to restore the gut after chronic illness and I've also got a question which is relatively similar from Porsum Academy which they ask what types of probiotic can help to restore the gut biome balance I've seen some people using human products is this okay
0: yeah. So I, I did a very long post on, on this, um, a little while back about, um, human and, and veterinary probiotics and the difference there. It is quite common. I do see a lot of people, um, using human probiotics or sources of human probiotics. So things like yogurt or, um, you know, even, even just your, your regular sort of fermented food products to that same aim to try and provide a probiotic. Now, the main issue with that is, is that they're not host specific, so using a human probiotic is only going to benefit a human um, because it's based on our microbiome. Everyone's microbiome is an individual, but there's some, obviously, there's some beneficial bacteria that may be similar um, from person to person. So even for humans, even if we're using a probiotic, it may not work for everyone. It may only work for a portion of people. Um, so for pets, again, their balance is completely different to ours. So if we're giving them a human probiotic, Generally, a lot of the time it's not doing anything because it's for humans, it's not for pets, and we don't generally have the same strains that pets do. The other thing is, is that they generally don't survive the transit to actually get to the intestine where we need those microbes to populate. So for humans, that's fine because our gut is quite different our gut is not as um, highly acidic or um, as extreme as a dog or cat's, whereas for dogs and cats, if we give them a human probiotic, it'll generally just dissolve in the stomach and kill all the bacteria, so by the time it gets to the gut, there's nothing there anyway. With veterinary products, they've actually got um, the the probiotic itself or the, the actual colony is encapsulated in there. So it's going to survive those highly acidic or extreme environments to get to where we need it to get and actually provide a benefit to the pet. And again, those strains that have been chosen have been studied and researched to see that they're actually the right strain for that pet um, and for that species to provide any benefit. So, um, again, case closed, you know, you kind of need to feed a veterinary probiotic to an animal, um, not a human product.
1: Jess, is there any way to actually establish what the microbiome is in a particular animal?
0: Yeah, so there are um, tests available now. You can get um, fecal testing, which tests basically a stool sample and has a look what sort of microbes are in there. Unfortunately, with faecal testing, we're not 100% on if those microbes are surviving to the point for us to be able to test them. So the efficacy of those tests are a little bit up in the air at the moment. We're not really sure if they work. Um, so they're the sort of tests that you can sort of just buy online um, and get sent to your house, take a stool sample of your pet and send them away. At the moment, like I said, they haven't really been verified. So we're not really sure if they're the best way of testing the faecal microbiome. The other way is you can do DNA testing So, because, again, like we said before, the definition of the microbiome is all the genetic material that lives in that environment. So you can actually do DNA testing that will show you what sort of microbes live in that particular environment.
1: And this is where probably we have to give a call out to our old friend George Sophonides from Orovet, Genetic George as he likes to call himself. <laughs> Orovet is based in your hometown in Melbourne and they offer a DNA test for the microbiome. So if you are interested, just ha- have a look at their website and th- this is as you were saying, it can actually be bought over the internet. Just quickly, Jess, source of probiotics, you you were mentioning using the veterinary probiotics. Am I right in saying that some of the commercially available dog foods have actually got probiotics in them?
0: Yeah, that's right. So the main diets that stand out to me are the ProPlan diets. so Purina ProPlan. They pretty much add probiotics into all of their diets, so all of their sort of high um, high-range ones. For that, that's because they do a lot of research on probiotics anyway, um, and their own um probiotics which is fortiflora, um, they do put those into their diets. Now, the issue with that is is mainly just not I mean, not all pets need a probiotic supplement, but the thing is too is that we're not sure about how effective every so there's lots of diets that obviously include probiotics, but not all of them will survive until the pet actually eats it to then populate the gut. So ProPlan is a really good one because um, they have tested that and they've made sure that by the time the pet eats it, it is actually providing a benefit to them. But other brands that do include them, they don't test that. So just be um, obviously aware of that.
1: Jess, where do prebiotics fit into all of this?
0: Yeah. So with prebiotics, prebiotics are really kind of the way that we're going at the moment because with prebiotics, generally it's a fiber source. And these fiber sources, some examples are like chicory root or um, beet pulp. Uh, moss, foss, you would have heard as well. All of these things, they basically provide food for the microbiome. So when the pet eats it, it's not really digested by the pet. It's more so digested by the microbiome. Now, as we were saying before, with the symbiotic bacteria um, or microbes of any description. They take that food in, they digest it, and then they provide a byproduct, which is generally beneficial to the host, which is the probiotics. So the difference with prebiotics and probiotics is more so the prebiotics can provide a more personalized probiotic for the pet basically to make their own probiotics that are specific to them so rather than trying to give them something that may or may not be a strain that's unique to them or going to work for them because if that happens it's generally not going to be retained by the body and they're just going to poop it out and they're not actually going to get a benefit with the prebiotics they're feeding their own bacteria and going hey can you make this particular probiotic that's going to help me so that my biome is in balance it also kind of selectively um not starves, but doesn't really help the bad bacteria. So it kind of outcompetes it with good bacteria. So you get a better balance in your microbiome.
1: Let's take a little bit of a left hand swerve here, Jess. Probiotics for itchiness, for pruritus, how does that work?
0: Yeah, look, I've, I have seen some studies done on that, um, but I know that it, I think it's more so to do with the fact that. The gut is where a lot of your um, immunity and your immune system lives. Basically if you're supporting the immune system with probiotics or prebiotics or both, um, which like I said lives in your gut, you're going to have less of an overreaction to an allergen. So if you encounter something that your body is allergic to, you're not going to have this sort of extreme reaction where you're very itchy, you break out in rashes, you go really crazy. Um, in essentially, the body has a little bit more of a defense system against that. So I think that's where these probiotics have kind of tried to come into the market and say, look, we're trying to improve the immune system. So your body doesn't have that same hyperactive reaction to things. So if you're providing a strong immune system, your body, it's, it's not going to attack allergens as readily.
1: Now, probably should be talking to a dermatologist about this, but I, I do see that you can get spray-on probiotics for paritis for itching. Do you know anything about that?
0: Hmm. Well, I think um, again, I think it's more so the fact that everything can be a biome, and I believe that probably the skin is the skin is definitely a biome. You do have a lot of microbes that live on your skin, and particularly when pets get allergies or they get quite severe skin reactions, um, that that defense system that they've got breaks down and then they get infections of those bacteria that just normally live on the skin that generally don't cause a problem. But once the skin barrier breaks down, they kind of overpopulate and then you get infections. So I think the sprays, they probably would do something, but I I don't think obviously they're going to cure the issue. The initial issue is still allergies and, and underlying causes but it probably would help correct that balance and and not have them have such a a bad infection every time that their skin barrier breaks down.
1: I think my advice for this would be, though, that if you have got a dog which is itchy, don't just go and buy some probiotic spray online. I think go go and have a talk to your veterinarian. They may well refer you through to a, a dermatologist and get to the root cause of the problem rather than blasting it with bugs. Yes. Just crystal ball gazing time. Yes. Where do you see the future of probiotic treatment going?
0: Yeah, look, I think um, we're already starting to see it a little bit with um, faecal microbiome transplants. So um, pets, like you mentioned before, um, with you know significant um, chronic issues like uh, IBD or colitis or things like that, they can benefit from these transplants. We are seeing it in human medicine as well. So I think that could be part of the way where we're going, where we're kind of personalizing or um, changing the pet's microbiome by introducing different microbes. I think the other thing is too is, I think there's gonna be a lot more testing in the future and so that we provide more personalized care to pets. So I think if we're doing, um, for example, if we're doing a course of antibiotics or a course of probiotics, um, we might do a test beforehand, see what type of microbes actually live in that pet's gut before we supplement or before we give antibiotics basically to see what's going to work best for that pet and what's going to provide the biggest benefit. Really money-saving when we think about it. And when we think about what we do anyway with you know, kind of culturing infections and things like that before we give antibiotics, I think this is probably the next way we're going to go is we're going to probably culture the microbiome before we give probiotics.
1: Jess, just to wrap things up now, and probably putting you on the spot a little bit, can you just give us a few bullet points or a few take-home messages about what we should know about the microbiome.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing to take home is that, you know, the, the microbiome can be very easily um, manipulated and changed both for good and for bad. Um, so I think for for vets, I say, you know, kind of slow down on the antibiotics, um, have a think about what you can do instead, particularly with your diarrhea patients. Um, and then with, with people, I think, have a think about, um, you know, does your pet need a probiotic? And if they do, Seek a proper recommendation from your vet. Don't just buy something over the counter without having to think about how it could actually improve or, or affect their pet.
1: Jess, that's just terrific. Now, if you want to hear more of Jess's words of wisdom, we actually recorded a podcast a few months ago with Jess, just looking generally at nutrition. So that is well worth having a listen to. So just go and have a look at our back catalogue of the vet podcast. Jess, give yourself a plug. Tell people how they can find you.
0: Yep, so you can find me at nutritionrvn.com or you can um, check me out on Instagram or Twitter on the handle at NutritionRVN.
1: Jess, thank you once again very, very much for your time.
0: Thanks, Brian.
1: And that's it for another episode of the VET Podcast. All of our links are in one place at beacons.ai slash VET Podcast. That is B-E-A-C-O-N-S dot A-I slash podcast and while you're there don't forget to buy us a coffee on behalf of me brian gregor and everybody else involved in the making of this podcast thanks for listening and we'll catch you again soon